0: Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind the scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change making progress,
1: and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world.
0: And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose.
2: Welcome to another great episode of Logistics with Purpose. I'm your host, Enrique Alvarez, and I have the pleasure of having Christy co-hosting with me today. Hey, Christy, how are you doing?
0: All I'm good. We are a little starstruck this morning as we explored. <laughs> <mix laughs> <Ward. laughs>
2: um, I'm just, I don't know, jealous, nervous, excited all over. And I've let you introduce our guest today, Christy. But I think it's going to be amazing. It's some, someone that we somehow know fairly good through her book. And I think the book, it's fair to say, has really shaped the kind of company we are and the way we actually approach business in general. So I'm excited about it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Me too. So it, for those of you who aren't familiar with this name yet, you're probably familiar with <laughs> the book that she's written simply because Vector talks about it all the time. So we are have the pleasure of talking to Jody Thompson, who is the co founder and CEO of Culture Rx and the bestselling author of Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It, Why Managing Sucks and How to Fix It. And she's the co-creator of The row Model. So welcome, Jody. We are thrilled to talk with you. Even by the name of the book, when we talk about it, people are like, what is this? I understand completely and I need to know more about this.
1: So we're thrilled to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And anytime we can talk about this kind of concept that's working and help yeah. other people think about work differently, I'm all for it. So yeah. thanks for inviting me.
2: No, thank you so much for being here and taking a little bit of your time to share with us and our audience. I'm sure people are going to be as excited as we are to listen to what you have to say today. And to start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you uh, grew up and a little bit more about your childhood. Who is uh, (laughs) Joey?
1: I have to think back a long way to think about (laughs) that. But I actually grew up in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, Twin Cities of um, Minnesota. And I lived in your typical 50s neighborhood. With little ramblers and all the moms were at home and sidewalks and roller skating and the whole bit. A lot's changed since then and we all have to change with it. I guess. It was a whole different day back then, really. Well, it's a whole different world from three years ago. So, right. Yes.
0: Right. Adjusting quickly. And yes, I didn't hear it in the pre, in our little pre chat here, but now when you say moms and Minnesota, I hear it a little right. bit. Right.
1: Yeah. People Thinking say that to me bit. all the time. I usually make them guess where I'm from and pretty much people get it right away. Sometimes they say Fargo, which, uh, you yes. know, <laughs> sound like that too. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit about that.
0: And um, before we get into a little bit more of your professional journey, is there something when you look back on that childhood, suburban childhood especially, is there a story from your early years that sort of now you're like, "Mm, I can see how I was already kind of headed down this
1: path as a child? I have a couple of things to say about that, Christy. And one of the things is when I was in elementary school, I was perplexed why the boys could wear pants to school, and the girls had to wear dresses. Mm-hmm. And I was in the student council, and so I fought, sort of fought that policy and said, it's freezing cold outside, we live in a winter area, by the time I get to school, I can't feel my legs and feet, I think girls should be able to wear pants, right? Mm-hmm. And it got passed. So what was, of course, what was not good for me is my mom still made me wear dresses, but. For everybody, everybody else everybody got else to wear pants, <laughs> I know. And then I went to the University of Minnesota in Fitness Administration, really PE, but I didn't like how they what the program was. They didn't have the right elements in it. I didn't think so. I actually designed my own program using University without Walls. So you can tell me that I'm trying to not fit into all of the different rules and policies. Mm-hmm. And after I graduated, I tr- I went to the um, school board. And I, I wanted to change how we thought about physical education in elementary, secondary, and high school programs. And, of course, they didn't accept what I was saying. But, you know, if you think about obesity right now and childhood obesity, physical education is it needs to move away from that sort of PE right. centered around sports skills. And we have to go more contemporary and teach us about our bodies and how they function and what a healthy lifestyle looks like. And I was thinking that 30 years ago, but it was too soon, I think.
0: Yeah, student council was a much easier gig, yeah. Right.
2: Well, it's still definitely there for us to improve though, right? Even today, I mean, I think that you're absolutely right. There's a lot of schools that basically go around sports more than health, which is something that definitely needs to happen. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your professional journey. You began your career by joining... HP, Hewlett Packard, and Best Mm -hmm. Buy. You went on and wrote that book that I so much love and admire. But tell us a little bit how you actually went from did you skateboard by the way? You mentioned skateboarding, but I wasn't sure if you were one of the ones skateboarding.
1: Rollerblading.
2: Rollerblading.
1: Never skateboarded.
2: (laughs) But you did rollerblading. I have that
1: skill. Yes.
2: (laughs) Well, how tell us a little bit more how you went from rollerblading to a world-renowned author.
1: (laughs) So Best Buy. When you think about it, it was back in like 2006 when we were trying to reimagine the workplace and it wasn't HR per se that was trying to do that, but it was, I was a change agent, so that's what I did at Best Buy. And I got together with Kelly Ressler and she was in work-life programs. And what we realized and what people really know is that organizations across the globe, especially an organization like Best Buy, showing up, so time plus presence equals results. That was what the currency of work was back then. And we all accepted it. But Callie and I looked at it as a really a broken system of inefficiencies. It had rules and policies directing our behaviors. And at that time, we both said work sucks and we have to fix it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly, yes. It's a title that definitely grabs anyone's attention and also a mantra, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Bumper magnets. Bumper magnets. <laughs> yes. For <right>? sure. <laughs> Let's needlepoint that on a pillow. That's right. The Okay, so tell us a little more about the model. We've kind of hinted at it so far. So ROW stands for Results Only Work Environment. You initiated it at Best Buy. Even just reading the book, I found that, even when I saw that, I thought that was really fascinating because that is not the type of environment I would have assumed you would start that kind of model in with a retail and people out on show floors and things like that. So tell us a little more about the model and how you started implementing it.
1: So we were at in corporate. So there were five thousand employees in the corporate setting, and so when we started this out, we weren't thinking of the field employees yet. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to define role for your audience, I have to discuss what it's not, mm-hmm. and that helps sometimes imagine what it is. As I mentioned, the old and outdated currency of work is time plus presence equals results. But in the results-only work environment, the currency changes significantly. So now you have autonomy plus accountability equals results. And there's no labels like teleworker, remote worker, four-day work, week worker, hybrid worker, or flexible worker. Right. These labels, what they do, Christine Enrique, is they say that anything different than working eight to five Monday through Friday in an office needed a policy or label. And in traditional organizations, managers become permission granters. I'm sure your audience can even see that in their own work. And people who are lucky enough to get a flexible schedule are judged. So I wish I had a kid and could leave early, and where's Bob? He never comes into the office. So autonomy is way different. So autonomy means self-directed and independent. And if you look at social science, it's proven over and over. That increasing the control people have over little time, it lowers stress. And psychological stress increases as workload demands increase. So at the same time, you're losing that control, you're increasing the workload demands, and that is a recipe for psychological stress.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you're no longer at... Best Buy. You're the CEO of your own company now. So at what point you tried it, it worked successfully, you got data to work with. At what point did you realize this actually needs to be implemented on a broad scale and we need to teach Mm -hmm. others how to do this through a book and workshops and
1: all the things that you do? It was interesting because what we could see happening at Best Buy was so profound we thought early on, this is not a Best Buy thing. Best Buy is a retailer, right? They're in the retail business, not the culture change business. So we realized that the mindset around work, about time and location, is everywhere. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what country you're in, what job you have, everybody's being managed that way. And so we got really excited about how can we actually share this with other people? And (laughs) we really couldn't do it as Best Buy employees. So what happened is CultureRx became a wholly-owned subsidiary of Buy, so that we could go out and actually sell it, sell culture change. So that was really interesting because I also learned that innovating in the HR space, it's almost an oxymoron. Now that HR is bad, but HR as a whole, they have policies and things that people and organizations need to follow. Some of it is to keep you safe, whatever. But it's very policy driven. And what we were doing was sort of ripping that out from under everything and not having policy be the boss of us, Mm -hmm. but having results be the boss of us.
2: I imagine it must have been. No, go ahead. Sorry.
1: No, no, I was going to say. And then off we went, galloping away. And then pretty soon we spun off and we were out there on our own trying to describe this to people. And I don't know if you guys know this. There was an article that came out right at the beginning when we left Best Buy and somebody said, either this idea is going to change the world or it's going to be the hardest thing ever to sell. Mm -hmm. And it became, that's absolutely right. It's the hardest thing ever to sell and it's changing the world. Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely. And we can feel that by experience and applying it to our own processes and culture and values. But Back then, going back to Best Buy and what you actually had to do to sell it internally first and then for them to let you spin Mm -hmm. off this other company that was going to go out and focus on changing the culture of other companies. I feel like that must have been like a huge endeavor. How did you, because you read the book and it makes sense. It's rational, Mm -hmm. makes sense. People can relate to it. But Mm -hmm. then that and implementing it is a completely different thing. How did you manage, first and foremost, people at Best Buy to buy into this and allow you to just do what you did? <laughs> so yes. I know. Seems it seems very crazy. challenging. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, I had a conversation over the last year with Brad Anderson, and he was the CEO when we were there. And he talks about how his, what he wanted is he wanted to create a work culture where innovation happened organically. And what's interesting about Best Buy, and I always say this, Roe had to start there because doing some of the things Callie and I were trying to do was we they allowed it to happen just to see what it would do. Mm-hmm. And so, what we did is we looked around for a couple leaders that were willing to let us experiment with this idea, so we could build. How do you do this? What are the blocks of things that have to happen, and where do you start, and where do you end up? And so we. Got a couple teams that did do that, but then we never sold it to other teams. What happens with the results when they work environment it's like a big magnet. And once it starts to sort of incubate inside of an organization, it pulls people towards it. It's not something that's technical change. It's adaptive, and it's what people in their soul really want. So we right. never had to sell it. And so everybody's we want to be next. We want to be next. That's the kind of situation we we're in. And even when we go into companies now, if it's the, a company of over 200 people and they want to do a pilot, we incubate it in one group so that they can understand how profound it is for their own culture. And of course, people are like, me next, me next. How about us?
2: Right. So that's it's like the a cool virus. Thing.
1: It is, it is. I I do say that. Very similar. I
2: mean, probably not the best thing to say after the pandemic, but it really is. It catches fire very quickly because it's in people's best interest and it's also Mm -hmm. in companies' best interest. And I feel like the future will be more culture and purpose-driven. So you'll see this perfect kind of storm forming that has probably helped you. Tell us a bit more about Culture RX because you mentioned you spun it off out of uh, Best Buy. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about those times and... When was it? What did it ha- how did it happen? And what does Culture RX do as a business now?
1: So we once we spun off, we had this feeling that it would really it would take up like wildfire. Like I'm gonna be out on my private yacht in the ocean and people are making my meals and whatever we think that looks like in our own lives. And it didn't turn out that way. It was considered so radical that people said, it'll never work. One, one it'll never sustain anywhere. Two, it'll never work in my organization. My boss won't ever go for this. And so what we learned right away was we had to really find not the right um, company, but the right leadership that wanted to break free from the status quo and move into something completely different. They wanted to commit to that. Well, luckily, to keep us going and paying our bills and everything, the University of Minnesota came to us, and they wanted to do a longitudinal study. And people can look at that study, but it was a six-year study, and a whole bunch of things came out of that study. We basically had a control group, and then people that went through, and then people that didn't go through this experience, and lots of different things measured. They did saliva swipes of people. Is your stress level going down? It did And we also learned that not only the stress cortisone readings of the people that were in a row decreasing, also their families. So there's something about an employee being clear about what they're accountable for and having autonomy that isn't just about that person, but it permeates out into their people that they come into contact with every day. So I will tell you one thing that if you don't completely believe to your inner soul that this is the right idea, I would have stopped 12 years ago. It's hard to sell. I have to keep talking about the same thing over and over again. And it can get sort of heavy and frustrating, but even today and the team I have and myself, we really truly believe deep down in our soul that this is going to make business better, communities better and give people a life that's more rich throughout and not waiting till retirement. Anyway, I still believe. Yes, you're a passionate believer. (laughs) I'm I'm working on that third block. So
0: (laughs) we'll keep it going. Oh, awesome. I feel like one of the strange but positive things maybe that came out of the pandemic was when people started working remotely, I think there was a lot of fear from a lot of management and executives. Oh, people are going to work from home. They're not going to get anything done. And then that turned out to be absolutely wrong in a lot of cases people were able to get things done on their own time they were able to juggle and even on when reading the book and then looking at your website and things it I completely understand kind of the hard sell as well because it sounds maybe at times a little touchy-feely or how does this actually happen even on your um, website you talked about this isn't just adding like perks like a kombucha machine or something right. like that. this isn't google nap pads and pods which i would love or anything like that but it's about a transformational culture change as you indicated yep. what are a couple of the most significant changes that you've witnessed
1: so i'm going to tell you a story and it's a simple story but it has a lot of complexity in how the change happened we were working with a state government agency thank government workers and they were hourly So this is a situation where you might think it's not going to work. There, people were saying to us, "Oh, Jody, you must be so happy during the pandemic. All the people are working from home, so it must be rural." And that's the struggle right there because rural has nothing to do with location. Mm -hmm. So we had these this team, and they had to they had a window, so people would come up to the window. So there were people from from this uh, city that came in every day to get what they needed. And when we came into this team. They were 1,500 applications behind in completing those. And it was to help people that needed health care, food, and shelter. They're 1,500 applications behind. So we went in to, to change this work and help them attach to what is their real purpose. And we've heard that all over. Purpose, you have to have purpose. People don't really... Have purpose in an, in sort of that kind of environment. What they have is, I do my time, and when I'm done, I get money. Mm-hmm. So we got everybody's around the idea that when you have 1500 applications that aren't done, that's 1500 families that aren't getting to eat. Right? They don't have the right health care, and, and they're on the street. So you're doing something really big. And important for the for the society. So then we went through the whole, all the modules and everything and set them free, right? We set them out there. And the manager, we had to use some smelling salts and it's going to be okay. Let's just see what happens. Well, I'm just going to go to the punchline because in three weeks, they went from 1,600 behind or 1,500 down to 132. Oh. Wow. In three weeks. And when we started with them, oh, no, we'll never get those done. We need 12 people. We need to hire more people. But once they understood really who they were, the purpose, they stopped fighting about who gets to work from home and how come she gets to leave early and all that kind of stuff. Now, it got better. So now they realize what their goal is and they get down to there's never an application sitting there, right? They figured out as a team how to get them get through all of them now they started to wonder, well, some of the people that we need to help can't get in here during the day. They're trying to do jobs, they're trying to do whatever they can, and they can't get here by four o'clock. So what we did as a team, they said, is we figured out how to be open two nights a week until eight and not add any expense to the bottom line. And these were hourly workers. So they created that type of how they put work together and what they think of it, into a whole different mindset. Nobody's saying, "Oh, I don't want to work at night." No, they're right. saying, "I get to help people."
0: Wow,
1: it's a completely different way to think about work. So Excellent. that is my story, and I'm sticking to it.
0: I have some other government agencies I would love to recommend. <laughs> <laughs> Big
2: I think list, we all actually. would, right? Anybody's right. listening,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> We do a lot of work in Canada there around government agencies,
2: so okay, they're a little bit more open
1: and friendly. Yeah, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and friendly.
2: Go ahead. uh, No, it's as you said, right? You're actually changing the mindset of people. It's really more about that and focusing on things that really matter, which we have so much deviated from over the course of history, right? I mean, the goal. Sometimes we lose track of what the goal is, or we don't communicate it correctly to the entire organization, and all of a sudden you wake up and no one knows what they're working for or towards too. So this is a really good way of coming back together to work on the same problem or purpose or objective, right? And
1: I think people think, well, why should I care about that? That's for the leadership to care about. But one of the things we have people do when we're taking people through this change is we have every single person path their way out to the customer. So they have to say, I'm a retail specialist, and I do this, and I do that, and I do this, and I do that, and that's how I help our customer. So it doesn't matter where you are in an organization. If you can start pathing your way out to how you, in your job, help this happen, you're not going to care. Right. It's an exercise right. of the mindset shift,
2: right? So, Right. Well, and you make your work more uh, meaningful to you. And uh, that way will make it happen. You'll be happier and more fulfilled and your families will be happier. And as you said, Mm -hmm. it's just like a virtuous cycle that you just have to start somewhere. And it's just by implementing this new mentality. We we know about this, I mean, from the launch in 2008, uh, Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It has been Mm -hmm. an amazing book that we not only give to every single Host an interviewee that we have, which we'll probably not have to send to you. <laughs> you but uh, well, we have Thank shared it with many, many organizations around the world, from like potential clients to suppliers to friends to people. And it is actually required for all our new employees to read it. It's in <laughs> in our contracts that they have to read the book. And I was some of the questions that I always get, and I would like to get your thoughts on this, is But that's because you guys are in logistics and it applies to logistics. So Mm. is it industry-specific? Is it company-specific? Because sometimes they say, yeah, but that's because you guys don't really have to do this or that or that. Chances are, it doesn't apply to us. How do you respond to that question, which I'm sure you get all the time?
1: If I had a dollar for every time I heard that, (laughs) I would be on that that yacht. Right. So here's what's interesting. Well, first of all, thank you for buying the book and sharing it with people. I really appreciate that. It's a fun read. And I think people, it touches people because it's a a changing human element on how we think about work. But I'm going to say this. role applies to all industries, including nonprofits. We've implemented it in manufacturing, like on a manufacturing line, in call centers, professional services, union workers, federal, state, local government, nonprofits, salaried workers, hourly workers. Location specific, we work with people that do construction and non location specific roles. So I'm going to say this, and this is something you can um, think about as other people are saying, oh, well, it works in yours, but not with us. If you start looking at work from the lens of autonomy and accountability, right? It starts to make sense in your brain that the achievement of results in the most efficient and effective way possible works with anyone in any job. So somebody might say, well, bus drivers can't do it. And I'll say, okay, have you ever gotten on a bus and had the bus driver be rude to you, the customer? And, I, you right. know, it's little things like that, right? I hadn't been on a bus for I don't know how many years and I had to get on a bus one day. I don't know how much it costs. I don't know if they're using credit cards on the buses yet. You know what I mean? I have no contacts. Right. So I got on and I what I looked at, I didn't know what to do. So I asked the bus driver and he was like, so irritated, but that's, your job is to move people, but it's also to help people and make sure their experience is good through that, whatever that interaction is. So again, if you look at it out that lens, I mean, have you ever called a company and you're on hold for two and a half hours? Yep. Or, yep. Or when you get the person
0: person cable contract, yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And they can't they can't help you at level one and they put you up to another level. You sit on for another hour. This isn't about the customer. This is about me doing my time. And then when the clock rings goes five, I stop. And I think there's a lot of that going on when we work in call centers. It is amazing what happens when they actually get to help the customer. One of the measures of a call center is call handle time. That's how long am I on a call with a customer? And the first level in this company we work for, they had to be off that call or pass it along to the next level in two minutes. So just picture this. I get a call and my computer screen is up and it goes to 159, 158, one, right in right my to 7, 156. So the whole time I'm on, I'm not really... I, I'm not helping the customer because I'm watching right. the clock because guess what? Right. If I keep going over call handle time, I'm going to get you know a performance rating that's bad. Mm-hmm. So then we said that the CIO, I said, no, I think this is what we need to do. We need to take that away. Then he goes, take it off their screens. He said to the managers, I don't want you measuring that anymore. Well, sure right. enough, what happened? Pretty soon, level two and level three weren't getting very, very many calls because level one took care of it. And how long do you think, on average, they were on their phone with the customer? What do you think?
2: Two minutes. Two minutes. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Two
1: minutes. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of weird, but it's amazing what kind of things are actually bogging people down instead of helping them do a good job. Yeah. Rules, you know, regulations, time clocks on your screen, just all that kind of stuff that I feel not connected to the customer, I feel like I'm a rule follower, and I better not get in trouble.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. I, but we have too many rules, to your point, right? I mean, at, yeah. at some point, yeah. you have to let people be people and trouble. I mean, you have to trust them. If we actually want to yep. come up with this amazing playbooks that tell you exactly what to say, what to do at every single second of your day then just your job becomes boring too and, and mm-hmm. unfulfilling and at the end of the day you give a substandard service to your customers because right you don't care i mean you clearly right. it doesn't matter you're just reading from the playbook anyways
1: yeah and you're going to get paid so right just do your time yeah i like to say what other place in society do we do time
0: is in prison, prison.
1: <laughs> okay all right so we've created this construct that's like you're still in high school. Then you go to college and you're free. You can either fail or succeed, but you know what the outcome is. And then you get to the workplace and all of a sudden, every minute of your time is un- not in your control anymore. You're right back into high school. So yep. it has to change. We're changing it. Yeah. I would imagine
0: another one of the pushbacks you get is I'm not in the C suite, I'm not the head decision maker. This won't work for me, or I have no power to do this, or whatever, which is, I'm going to guess, you tell me, why you wrote the follow-up, why managing <laughs> sucks, and how to fix yep. it. So tell us a little bit more about that book, and for our managers right now that are listening, tell Tell them why they should
1: pick up a copy. So first, I have to say that people in outside organizations that are not in a C-suite or not even leadership, and they would catch on to this idea. And we had people that were, you might to describe as zealots. They got so excited. You guys are probably zealots, right? Of this idea. And they yep. would keep talking about it and talking about it and talking about it, and they would get fired. So early on, we had to help people that were excited about this go about it in the right way so they could keep their job at the same time. Now, why managing sucks, we put that together so it would be more of a field guide for managers on how to go from managing people, time and location to managing work. And then we find that in many cases, employees aren't really held accountable to the outcome of work. And instead, they fill their time with activities that may or may not be aligned with the purpose of the organization. And we've already talked about that. And this isn't to say that managers suck. Some people call the book Why Managers Suck and How to Fix <laughs>
2: It. <laughs> no, not that. <laughs> but not everyone.
1: you right. But instead, it's to say that the current system or traditional way we think about work, managers are stuck inside the matrix. Okay, Mm -hmm. if you think about the matrix, what we come in and do with that that book is we unplug them from it. It brings them above the matrix. They can look down into, oh, now I can see what's happening in there. So we gave them some sort of how to think differently about managing work versus managing people. And I think that helped a little bit. It didn't sell as well as the first book. And I think the first book was more, I don't even know the word, but people bought that book and they liked the manifesto. But when it comes to managing, if you're in a system where time is so important and you're the permission grantor, it's really hard to be separate from that because culture is a giant hairball. And if you start to do something different, the hairball's job is to eat you up and get you back in line and pull you back in there. And so managers, even who have like, like you, Enrique, and, and you, Christy, it's, you have the will to make it different. And it's happening because it's coming from the top.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And role works from the middle out. So it's innovating in the space between managers and people that do work. And so that right there is where the sort of problem with work culture exists. It's, I manage you. We have to get away from that. I don't manage you. I manage work. Right. And you're somebody that does work, but I'm not telling you what time. You can figure that out based on what the work is. So that's what we're trying to help managers do. We often do workshops just for managers, but not to make them row. Mm -hmm. To help them think more about outcome-based planning, get clear with everybody what the outcome is, and then figure out what activities you should be doing instead of the other way around. Time is interesting. Christy, I have a question for you. Okay. If you get up in the morning Mm -hmm. late, you You know, and you have to be, be yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to be in the office by nine and your alarm goes off at 8.15. How long does it take you to get ready? I would say at least half that time is talking
0: myself out of bed.
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's part of the getting ready, though. as yeah, getting ready.
0: Getting ready is less time yes. than actually pulling myself out of bed. <laughs> right. But I, I will you.
1: Yes. Yes. Or you'll try to get there. And what people tell us is, if I have an hour and a half before I have to go out the door, I feel that whole time. Yes. But if I only have 15 minutes... I decide what's the most critical to get me to whatever that is, and the extraneous stuff just goes away. And so time is so weird. If I have to put in eight hours every day, my brain automatically takes the work and just sort of spreads Mm. it out. Mm -hmm. And so even if I'm wasting time, six hours a day in meetings, at least I was there. Mm -hmm. And we're having, that's a problem. The time clock, the punch clock mentality is in all of our DNA. And that is really hard to let go of. Because guess what? If you come to me and say, well, I only work 20 hours. What's the first thing I'm going to think as a manager? If you say you only work 20 hours a week. You're lazy. You're lazy and you must need more work. What the heck? Maybe we don't need you. Yeah. So efficiency is not something that's, Promoted really when there's time clock mentality, it can't. You have to get rid of that part. And then when people own all of their time, they're completely autonomous and they have work to do and all these other things in their life. When they manage that, like we talked earlier, it, it enriches right. everything my relationships with my family, how business operates, who I am as a person, how I feel about how I connect to our customer. All of that starts to change. Mm-hmm. You would think everybody would just sign up for it, wouldn't you?
2: <laughs> yes, you would, but right. <laughs> well, but then it, as you said, right, it's something that's very human and it's been ingrained mm-hmm. in us forever and ever since we were little at school. I mean, everything kind of works on a time basis almost, right? You have 30 minutes for right. this and you have 15 minutes for this. So I think it's it's something that's been historically speaking with us and around us forever right? So I kind of see why people struggle with it, or at least they. it's easy to sell. I think people really become fans of it very quickly, but then just applying it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes me, I mean, we started this company in 2009 with this mentality since the beginning. And sometimes I still caught myself thinking, well, wait, why am I doing this? I constantly fall into the... So it's like uh, you have to get out of the uh, rat race, but you sometimes feel yourself that you're just doing it because that's the way you're used to doing it. Which is not ideal, of course, or efficient. So
1: it's just the language of work. Like we're used to talking about that. And if you say to somebody, I need you in the office on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, well, why? Like right. we never really ask why that is. Right. Well, because you collaborate better. Well, how do we measure that? Right. How do we know that? That's an orthodoxy. And I think, like you're saying, Enrico, what we do is we just accept those things. But when you're in a results-only work environment, you're working every day to leave that behind. It's an aspirational journey to overcome inertia. So keep
2: right. going. Yeah, there's never like a, we already implemented. It's like every day, every day. It's right. On, is that is that the way it is? Because that's definitely the way that it feels for us here. It's not something that we'll ever be able to fully accomplish. Right? It's not like a destination right. that we'll arrive to. It's just part of the day-to-day basis of who we are like okay so why is that what's important let's focus on this
1: you're taking an aspirational journey and in the purest form people don't really ever get perfectly there right but if you're going in that direction you're evolving yeah and the current culture is over here and the future culture is here and it's and you just keep moving as close as you can
0: yeah But But I think you guys probably the rest of the world operates the other way. So you're also continually (laughs) that's a everyday struggle too when everybody else is operating in one direction in the rest of your life and then you're trying to do something
1: different. Right, exactly. It's so true. That's why we have to just we have to help everybody. Yeah. Right. Start to move forward.
2: Yes, because once you actually find another company that has the same culture, then work between those two companies make it's a lot easier, more efficient, and seamless.
1: I love that you said that because we work with an accounting firm and they do billable hours, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what clients yep. expect from accounting, billable hours. <laughs> and so they turned into a results-only work environment. We trained them and they're certified. And they were having a hard time because they didn't know how to sort of, the way they were counting time before was didn't fit into this mindset. So now they're free and right. they're autonomous and all that. So it took them three years to basically train their clients not to be a role, but to go into a value-based billing. Right. Right. We're going to do this for you by this time. But the hours it takes to get there are irrelevant. And so they started to negotiate and agree on a, a, pri- a fixed price, right? Now, right. if you're in the organization, right. you can putz around, putz around and not get there. But when you know the goal, you can just focus on that. You might get done early. Who cares? It's better for the customer if that happens. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. And there's many professions like that, right? I mean, lawyers, consultants, IT. I mean, everything's like, because it's easier to bill by the hour. But but easier doesn't necessarily mean more efficient, definitely doesn't mean less stressful, and of course, you're not focusing on the right things, which is what some business need to realize if they want to be better, and of course, if they want to compete and to the future, because a lot of companies are adopting this new mentality and mindset, and they'll just be left out if they don't apply They will. Yeah. I I 100% agree. And I would love for you to talk, I mean, I have so many things I would like you to talk about, (laughs) but... One of one of them, though, is retention, right? I think yeah. that it's important for other companies to understand how a results-only work environment row or this mentality helps uh, retain talent and acquire talent in the first place. So could you tell us a little bit more so that our listeners can get your take on retention and row?
1: Well, so I'm happy to talk about this because attraction and retention is a place where the results-only work environment really changes that. So what employees want today is they're not looking for flexibility, right? They want autonomy and they want to be able to manage their lives and work is part of their life, but it's the way that they're forced to work, they don't want to do anymore. So just to show you what happens, one of our clients um, that we've worked with for a few years, the number, they, they do surveys and the number one reason, number one, that people come and want to work there is because the results only work environment. And once they're in, they don't want to leave because they're used to working in this autonomous and accountable fashion. So they don't want to go back to another company that doesn't do that. In fact, this company we're working with, their net promoter score increased by 300%. Wow. Wow. So they were also telling all their friends to come on board. And then we had this other client and their voluntary turnover rate the first year like went down to zero. And at the same time, their business was growing and they were hiring more people. So it creates this this thing that happens around attraction and retention and how we measure it. And it says, keep the talent you want to keep, right? But the people that are just sort of going along, putting in time and figuring out how to fly under the radar, that doesn't fit anymore. So now you have a, a place where adults work, right, instead of children, And you get clear with them about the results. And you talked about trust earlier today. I don't think we have to earn trust. I think we start out with getting clear with people. Then if they can't get there for whatever reason, it's a performance issue. And if that just keeps happening, I guess that doesn't work in our company anymore. You actually have to do your job. Yeah. Right. Yep.
0: All right. Thank you for explaining that. Retention is a huge topic always, especially right now when people are trying to hire and trying to find the right fits. Another huge topic is work-life balance. And so you're talking about in the book, how to achieve a healthy work-life balance. That phrase is used again and again and again. So I'm <laughs> curious how... You define that in the context of Roe. How does it contribute to that philosophy? Because again, I think that's something people are seeking, trying to understand, trying to figure that out for themselves. So, what is that position to you?
1: Okay, so this will be fun. So, I want your listeners to think about this. If any of your time, I think it's 163 hours a week or something like that, 168, is managed by somebody else. You're never going to achieve work-life balance. Mm. So the way that it's achieved is through autonomy. So I look at all the demands I have in my life all at the same time. And I know when I need to get things done. And I know what that is. And I know grocery shopping and this and that and all that. And I put that all together in a way that optimizes everything I do. So think of this. So I wonder if I told you that you could only shop on Amazon between 8 and 5. That's it. I mean, think of that. It's like our society, like contemporary society is speeding ahead with how we shop and how we view entertainment and all that. But the workplace is like, no, you can only do it between eight and five, Monday through Friday, and they're still putting so many parameters around it. We're never going to be able to match contemporary society as long as our manager or our organization is controlling our work, or excuse me, our time that we work. So that's the goal. Yeah, that makes
0: a lot of sense. Let go of that control. And how, so we talked about kind of promoting it within at a couple of different levels. So how do either in hiring or when somebody is in the door, how do, how would you give advice to people promoting this culture, whether it's just understanding the philosophy or how to execute, or even just what you said about time? What's the importance of people really explaining that within their teams and during the hiring practice? What's the benefit and how should they go about doing it? Because I assume there is, as I think you mentioned before, a little bit of fear, especially if it's new to you, right. trying to get people to understand this without there's a fear they're going to run rampant with it.
1: So, yeah, run like crazy people, like yeah. unicorns flying everywhere. Yeah. First of all, I have to say this, the future is not flexibility that's the old game, and it's a trap. So what we have to do is we have to listen to social science. Dan Pink, Robert Harasek, all the people, social scientists, have figured out that if you build a workforce on the foundation of autonomy and accountability in equal measures, that's the key. But it's not easy because we have all of these orthodoxies going on in our heads. And, I mean, that's where we come in. So. What we've done is we've sort of cracked that culture code and we we break up traditional mindset logjam. And that's what's happening in organizations. Our brain pulls us back to what we understand and know. And so when you're trying to explain it or talk about it, the orthodoxies are flying in your head. And that's why Enrique, people say, Well, that wouldn't work here. It only works here right. and there. You know, it it's just comes into your brain. So That's where we come in and help people because then they feel like at least they're on a path with everybody. Sometimes people want us to just implement with managers. No. Results only work environment mindset is for every single person in the organization. And the only way you're going to get there is to all get together and go through the same training so that you can have your wow moments all together. And then what happens is it's like self-correcting. And I think you've experienced that too. It's when people are kind of going off, you know, sort of in the wrong direction, the culture pulls them back and corrects them. So over time, you get closer and closer to the ideal, Mm -hmm. but you need everybody to have the same freedom and be able to own their work. One company we worked for said, like, own your work was one of their values. And I'm in one of the sessions and I'm getting to the end of it. And one person goes, Oh, now I get what own your work means. Think about that. We don't own our work. Our manager owns it. Right. Mm-hmm. But you guys own my time. Mm-hmm. So I'll do my best in those 12 meetings that are going nowhere. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: That's no, that's absolutely true. And, and definitely something that listeners and companies uh, that are listening to this episode are definitely going to think a little bit more about for sure. We're in logistics, supply chain professionals are listening to our podcast, and the last years have been incredibly challenging for many yes. industries, not only logistics, right? And so how does the a results-only work environment, row apply to like highly stressful situations in industries, like for example, logistics? What's the impact into the not only employees, but customers, suppliers, and everyone that facing challenging or stressful situations? Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm going to sound like a broken record, but (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, the key is autonomy. right? So it's been proven social science. I I mentioned all that, but what's happening is we're living in a contemporary world with a 20th century management mindset. So organizations that already had, we've already certified Roe right? And the pandemic came and whatever. Every single organization had a different pain point when we hit the pandemic. Logistics was a nightmare. So the interesting thing is that how you think about autonomy is something that's going to be different in every single, every different role. But the point is that the more you start to try to control people solving the issue, you control it and you tell them when to solve it, you know, where do they have to sit when they're solving it, what time of the day they have to solve it. You've now taken the power away from the workforce where right. people always say, oh, we want people to come up with their own innovative ideas. So every day from 12 to 1.30, <laughs> put your computer away and think about right. innovation, right? Be innovative, go. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> In fact, we had a little bit of that. Like you company can't. I worked for Right. I think, are you kidding me? I, what no. am I, a robot? You know?
0: Right. And so, right.
1: sometimes we do things that are more making us go backwards. Like, if you say, oh, we have too many meetings. Okay, so we're going to have no meeting Wednesdays now. <laughs> and then, and we did this at Best Buy. So, no meeting Wednesdays. So, we're all like. Okay, what do we do on Wednesday? Because all we do is go to meetings all the time. So then Wednesday would come, and then we wouldn't be in meeting rooms. We'd go down to the cafeteria, we'd go different places, <laughs> and then people say, are you having a meeting? And we'd say, we're just <laughs> gathering. We're just having a gathering. So it, it's a technical fix to an adaptive problem. We're actually making it worse for people. Or one company that said, nobody could use their cell phone after 5 p.m work. Even if you needed to, you couldn't use it. That's technical. It's a technical fix to an adaptive problem. The things we're trying to do to make work better are often backfiring because it's still not giving people autonomy.
2: Yeah.
1: Giving me two different places to make coffee isn't autonomy. (laughs) It just isn't. (laughs) Right.
2: I think people know that. We want to have cake and eat it too, right? I mean, you want to have autonomy and let people do what they're supposed to be doing and focusing, but you also want to have the control. And it's just letting that control go that I feel is actually very, very hard to do, especially for people that have just been used to this other way of working.
1: Right. And you're you're just right at it now. You just got to
2: let it go. You got to let it go, right?
1: Stop controlling me.
2: The system will adjust itself is what you're saying.
1: Yes. And... What I think what managers don't realize is they're now going to get more control over the actual work Mm. because work isn't showing up and going to meetings and carrying paper around. That's just an activity. I mean, I can't even tell you how many days I didn't really do anything because I had to go there and put in my time. And right now, I said this when the pandemic first started, I said, mark my words. When we're through this, everybody's going to try it. All the corporate companies are going to try to suck everybody back in the office. Why? Because when you're in an office with your you know office clothes on and you're in a meeting or sitting in a cube, that looks like work. Yeah. Whew, I feel so much better. I don't really have to get clear with people because they're showing up and look, they look miserable, must be working. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that fine <laughs> smell <sign laughs> <laughs> <up. laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um.
1: So anyway, that's got to stop. But anyway, we're going to move past it. You know, we're doing a lot of hybrid stuff now. It was interesting to hear that the Googlers, as they're called, the Google employees, they are clamping down more than they were before the pandemic. I I don't know if you've read that article, but they're watching badge swipes. And if people are tardy, they're going to bring that up in their performance reviews. I'm like, what happened? Right. It got tighter and tighter and tighter. It's kind of that rubber band effect. Mm -hmm. We let you be free during the pandemic, but no more. He loved it. (laughs) (laughs) I know you were getting your work done, but I'm just going to ignore that. Actually, work was getting done better. Oh, we were more productive. Oh, look, how are business results? Okay, now we're going to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to bring everybody in the office and bog everybody down and make everybody mad and not engaged in all of it. Yeah. It's like so counterintuitive. But that's where we have it. That's where we are. And it's we're like, seeing it everywhere. Yeah. yeah.
2: Absolutely. You, I think uh one thing that really should be considered is like how do you tie all this into the compensation because that's where I think most mm-hmm. companies fail, right? Because you're still yeah. paying for the same reasons and the same things so, as opposed to once you Redirect work towards what makes sense, what the goal should be, then you should pay use for that. And then the system will continue to autocorrect itself because it's really focusing on what matters for that particular company, which is something very challenging to do as well.
1: Right. But that is so logical. Yeah. Right. It's so logical. It's, this is your outcome. This is what I need you to achieve. Right. But if you do it in less time, I don't feel like you've worked hard enough. Mm It's just all jumbled up in our DNA around time.
2: Do you feel like the future, I mean, you're positive and optimistic about the future and we're fully supportive because we love this culture and we'll never (laughs) let that go. But as you said, like this rubber band effect that you're mentioning, do you feel, and what's 10 years from now? I mean, what what do you foresee? I mean, at what point, we're reaching the tipping point. Do you see, what's your expectation over the next 20 years, 15 years, (laughs) longer term? I mean, do you think that, How do you see societies working in the future? Oh my gosh, I'm so tired.
1: (laughs) 20 (laughs) more years, no. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, this is going to take a long time, but the next book I'm writing is is called The Autonomy Economy. What I see happening is over the next five, six years, everybody is going to do their hybrid thing bring everybody back in the office, all that stuff. we're going to rubber band all the way back. And then they're going to realize we still aren't attracting people. We're still not keeping them, all that kind of stuff. And then they're going to go, maybe there's a different way. And then a few more companies will come to us and we'll take them through the migration. But it's not going to be quick. Mm -hmm. The mindset around how work needs to be is so ingrained. To undo that is monumental. And so I applaud you guys because you want that kind of environment. You're not really afraid of it. You embrace it. And so we need to find more people like you guys to <laughs> take a chance, right? And do a pilot. It's I think sometimes what happens, especially with other organizations that have come to us said we tried it but it didn't work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's things missing. Why you gave me a box of right. bolts and I'm supposed to put a car together and I miss some of the pieces. And so then it, it's not optimized. And I think a lot of times that senior leadership way at the top, see the change as something for, for everybody else. And then when they watch everybody else not coming into the office every day, but right. their mindset hasn't shifted. Then they bring them all back in. So everybody has to go through Then, And I think once you get to that level, you've worked your whole life to get to that level. And it works in your head. Like, you don't see it any other way. So it's hard to flip your mindset around. Right. We're in a whole new time of life right now. We're in a whole new. And we're still acting like we have two TVs. And we have to get up and go t- turn the channel and run and get our snack during the commercials. We're just not keeping up. The workplace isn't. But it'll get there someday. Yeah. I'm going to keep at it.
2: Absolutely. Well, for sure. And everyone that's listening that's trying this culture has said, yes, just keep at it. Right? I mean, we see we have offices around the world and you can totally see the different stages, right? Some offices that are just right. starting. And you start to see the same dynamics. And, yeah, just, just don't give up. Don't keep give up. up. And I think, yeah, oh, keep it up. Yep. It'll be great at the end, as you said, Jody. And thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Christy, I think you had a – well, we could actually ask questions for the next hour or two. <laughs> but you have, a, you have one or two, and we'll have to wrap yeah. it up. Right.
0: Asking for a friend. Yeah, so for, uh, le- before we do wrap up, I want to talk – we've t- talked philosophy, we've talked challenges, we've talked – Outcomes, and we've talked a, a couple of examples of what not to do. So, <laughs> outside of reading the books, which we of course recommend, what are, if somebody's kind of curious about this or says, yes, this is the philosophy for <laughs> us, but how, 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 what are a couple of those first good steps to take to lay a strong foundation?
1: So, number one, Enrique will send you a book. That's right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Uh, Reach out to me. If you listen to this episode, we will send you a copy.
1: (laughs) So, what people need to do and think about, I think first, what's really important is to start listening to how you talk about work with your people, right? Ask yourself, am I talking about work or am I talking about something irrelevant? If I say, you need to be in on Monday, That's, you know, irrelevant. What do you need? And then I decide whether I come in or not, because I don't even know what you need. How am I supposed to know? Mm -hmm. So start to listen to those things that sound traditional and think about how that's permeating everything. Second thing, go to our website. So goro.com and you'll see some things there. We have an autonomy guide. It's a free download. You'll see some stuff there that can help you begin to make that shift in your own mind. And you're going to find like people that that agree without needs to change, especially millennials of the next generation, that like, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. So it'll help you gather in some of the people that are like-minded. And the more you can coalesce with other people, the better chance you have of getting the leadership ear around... How work can be better for everybody and how business can be better and community can be better. Just don't give up. Mm -hmm. Come to our site. We'll help you. That's right. Um, That's what we're here for.
0: Thank you so much. This has been fantastic to read your words and then speak to you. This is great to (laughs) shed even more lies. GoRow.com is the website.
1: Um, Where else can people find you and learn about you or follow you? I'm on Twitter. I'm on all the social media, LinkedIn. I think I'm on Instagram now. (laughs) I tried to do that for a while. <laughs> Wasn't very good at it. So. Okay, so perhaps um, LinkedIn my, Center, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say LinkedIn's book, Results Only Work Environment has a Facebook page. There's a role group on LinkedIn. So oh, if there's places that you want to just go ahead and get more messaging from us, hear how other people are engaging in it, social media. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Yep.
2: Jody, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Huge fans. We congratulate you and applaud you for what you guys have achieved. We're very proud of being part of the movement, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so thank you so much. This has been, yeah, one of my dreams come true, actually. So uh, (laughs) thanks for participating. And for everyone that's listening, if you liked and enjoyed conversations like the one we had today with Jody, don't forget to subscribe. It's Enrique Alvarez with Logistics with Purpose and uh, Christy. See you later.
1: Thank Thank you. you. It's great to be here with you guys. See you soon.